0: Welcome to our cross-border employee podcast. Dealing with cross-border employees brings with it many tax, immigration, as well as HR issues that need to be identified, and the companies would ensure that they have looked at how they will deal with each issue. Employee matters are what can create many issues for a company, as well as the employee, if not properly planned. With us today, Darren Rowe will be discussing the expatriate and immigration issues, We have Jay Park, who will be discussing U.S. citizens moving on their own into Canada. And Kevin McNabb, who will be discussing our U.S. corporate tax issues that come along with uh, having cross-border employees. So, Darren, can you provide us with some highlights on areas to be dealt with for cross-border employees?
1: Sure, Deborah. So, So, I think, you know, obviously, Deborah. I think it's important, you know, our listeners understand that, you know, Oftentimes, you know, a company that undertakes a project in another jurisdiction obviously brings along with it a lot of complexity. And as you kind of laid out, you know, a whole layer of, of issues to be dealt with both at the organizational level, the finance level, at the employee level. And then obviously, you know, you're looking at both sides of the jurisdiction, whether you're looking at Canada or say, if say, for example, in the host country, which might be the United States. And so, you know, I think as a starting point to a lot of, you know, such cross-border projects, it's important to, you know, bring all of the team members together, both internally with your organization, um, as well as uh, the stakeholders outside to start planning out this uh, employee mobility transfer, whether it be on a short-term basis or a long-term relocation, so that you can kind of take all the steps up front um, to make sure it's a smooth process along the way.
0: You know. so how important is it, um, you know, when you have companies and they have their employees traveling to track them and where they are?
1: Well, I, I think, you know, and I think my colleague Kevin will attest to it, the tracking of, of employee data and, and location uh, information is critical to many aspects of sort of the, I would say, the the compliance process for both the organization and the employee. So for example, in my area of specialty, dealing with employees, it's important to understand how much time an employee is spending in you know both the home country and the host location, particularly so that we can have an understanding of what the potential implications are for things like residency, taxation of that individual employee in the host location. I think, Kevin, is it fair to say, if I can ask off the top, such employee data is important probably for PE and Nexus issues. I don't know if you want to weigh in for a few minutes on that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's certainly going to be, you know, a key factor when it comes to doing the analysis, you know, from a corporate perspective, because, you know, the second you've got a, a Canadian company that's sending employees down to the US or, you know, hiring people in the US, you know, that can potentially open up Pandora's box in, in terms of where you might need to file, what your exposures might be. And so it's very critical, especially early on when, when companies are really trying to understand what their federal and state income tax exposures are, to have that data available to them so that we can then come in and assist our clients with you know, making those determinations. If, if we don't have the proper information available to us it it makes our job a lot harder Um, and 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 so keeping track of that really will ensure that you know the process goes smoothly at such a point in time that we need to start having those conversations.
0: So it sounds a bit uh, complicated I mean Darren what can an employer do to simplify something like that? Well, you know, I think, and I think Kevin would
1: agree. I think all of us would agree on 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 this in our discussion that it's so important to take those preliminary planning steps up front. Like we all we all have these horror stories of of we get called in after the fact where a, a customer has gone or a client has rushed into a certain call it call it an organizational structure to carry on business in another in another. Jurisdiction, and you know that has kind of a ripple-on effect in all areas of you know the employee taxation implications, how we're going to manage things like payroll, employer of record, you know what does that mean for finance and corporate tax? And so I think early on, if we can get you know everybody to sit down and, and really look at the big picture, what makes the most sense for this particular project? Because some some structures what may may make sense on project A, maybe on a long-term project basis, may be very different for project B. And I think it's sometimes you just got to stick a step back, I think, first and and get things organized properly before you start rushing down a path to getting everything organized, so to speak.
0: Thanks. That's great. Like who who normally in a situation like this would be dealing with the cross-border employees, like within the company, who should lead it?
1: you know and that's i would i would call that the, the, the big trick question because i think inevitably it's kind of like the hot potato i think you and i have had lots of experience where mobility management issues are often at the at the feet of hr but hr is usually not the, not the group that's you know often equipped to think through and and really deal with perhaps the corporate issues like bring in corporate tax function to bring in the finance department that you know might involve a transfer pricing decision on well we have these employees where we're going to You know, send their costs from an overall perspective. So I think to some extent, maybe what you need to do is designate an an organization or a a subdivision that will be the quarterback, so to speak, for the project. And and maybe it is HR, um, but make sure that both the tax function, the immigration function and the finance team all know what's going on. So together they can kind of make, call it a joint decision. So that the project runs smoothly, and we don't you know, run afoul, perhaps on an international corporate issue that you know might get Kevin Kevin's team involved, you know, perhaps more proactively than he needs to be.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think certainly the situation that we often run into is, you know, a lot of our our clients aren't familiar with doing business in the U.S., so you know, there is a bit of. An education and, and kind of training element to, to what we do, at least, you know, in the initial stages, because even if we are working, you know, with the finance and accounting team, you know, there's a good chance that they're unfamiliar with, you know, the, the federal and, and state you know tax regimes in the U.S. And, and they can be quite complicated. So part of that, too, is, you know, not necessarily having to find the specific person that has that pre-existing knowledge, but just finding the right people that we can talk to, to, to teach them a little bit more about what the exposures are and, and kind of work with them to, to come up with a game plan on how to tackle it.
1: And I think, Deborah just to go back to your point and bring in a loop back in, Kevin, I think, you know, a lot of times an organization may get, get so focused on achieving a corporate tax objective, perhaps, that they kind of forget about the implications for the individual employee, for example. And obviously, many projects won't be successful if you have an unhappy employee. So, you know, obviously it's a, it's a careful balancing act on trying to balance both the needs of the organization and the needs of the, of the employee, um, and trying to kind of common middle ground, what makes sense when you're kind of setting the the landscape for structuring your, your mobility project.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree with that. Um, I think Jay, I think Jay, you're going to discuss a bit on some of the non-employees who might be crossing a border, you know, such as U.S. citizens. Like it's not only just cross-border employees that we have here in Canada. Um, not sure if you can uh, speak on that.
3: Right, right. So, I mean, you know, unlike in Canada, where you know income tax is assessed based on the residency, U.S. is one or two country in the world that basically assess income tax based on one's citizenship and and permanent resident status, regardless of uh, one's actual residency. So, you know, when U.S. citizen and and, and green card holder employee move to Canada, they'll continue to be subject to U.S. federal income tax and and filing requirement in addition to the filing uh, of Canadian income tax return as a Canadian resident. Um, In general, there wouldn't be any uh, U.S. income tax liability as long as majority of their activity is outside of the U.S. However, what these individuals have to watch out for is the disclosure requirement relating to uh, ownership of a non-U.S. asset. Just on that, Jay, like some of
1: this, you know, disclosure on assets is pretty complicated. Is there something kind of key points that the taxpayers need to understand? Like, is it as simple as filling a simple form, or is it more than that, for example?
3: Well, I mean, the, the, the forms can be quite complicated. I mean, in general, these forms can range from you know anywhere from 5 to 15 page, and it's just not simple informational form that, that we have. A lot of these forms actually inc- uh, involves a actual calculation uh, of a tax and interest and penalty. I mean, the most common asset that we see uh, that require IRS disclosures are, you know, you know Canadian corporation, Canadian bank account, uh, trust partnership, uh, certain pension plan, you know, other than RRSP and RRIF. And TFSA non and, and non-U.S. mutual fund uh, also require annual filing as well. And, and, and generally have a very uh, adverse U.S. tax consequences. So we generally advise our U.S. person client um, against owning these type of assets. And, and penalty for failure to file these uh, forms on a timely basis um, can be as high as $10,000 per each form. Um, so penalty can add up pretty quickly. Um, I mean, there is a amnesty program offered by the IRS uh, which can effectively eliminate uh, these late filing penalty, as long as certain requirements are met. Then, and it is the first time that the p- taxpayer is requesting such waiver. But, but you know, U.S. filing requirement for um, you know U.S. citizen and, and U.S. green card holder residing outside of the U.S. can be quite complex.
2: And, and there you mentioned that there's you know potential exposure for individuals that own assets, but that that exposure can also carry over to um, you know foreign corporations, you know Canadian corporations owning um, U.S. real property. Um, there's an entire tax regime in there um, that potentially creates additional exposure and filing requirements for Canadian uh, corporations as well. So it's not just something that you know individuals you know need to be aware of, but it's it's also Canadian companies owning any type of asset in the U.S. that that can often lead to some potential exposure. And along those lines, you know, if if you are starting to consider hiring individuals in the U.S. Um, to, to to work for your Canadian company, um, you know that that kind of leads down the path of identifying your federal tax filing requirements and understanding what that relationship is going to be with with that person that's working for you in the U.S. You know, are you going to be establishing a permanent residence in the U.S., you know, either through having an office or place of business down there or through some sort of service permanent establishment. So I know that's one thing, you know, that we have to kind of take a look at. And then along those lines, there are certain exceptions that, that are available depending on what you're doing in the U.S. So for us, it starts off with, you know, doing some of that analysis, figuring out what exposure that individual persons creating for us at the federal level, and then figuring out the filing requirements. And and that's important because, um, you know, while you may not be owing any additional tax in the US through through some of these disclosures, there are potentially some significant penalties associated with failure to file. Um, There's about $10,000 penalty for the treaty-based disclosure and a $25,000 penalty for uh, related party disclosure. So we want to make sure that we're tracking this stuff and getting our filing uh, requirements figured out because we want to, you know, help make sure that we're mitigating the risk for companies that are expanding down to the US. So Kevin, do you need to worry about state jurisdictions or local
1: or is it just really at the federal level kind of, you know, really should be focused on?
2: Yeah, no, states, you know, states, Probably even more complex of an issue. We we won't have time to really kind of get into all the the nuances today. But you know, for all intents and purposes, each of the fifty states operates you know, essentially independent of one another. So you've got fifty sets of state tax regimes that you've got to be aware of, and the interaction between you know the state taxation and the federal taxation, and you know how that works with the Canada U.S. treaty. It's all it's all you know very state specific. So part of what we can also do is help help people. Take a look at what activities they're engaging in on a state-by-state basis and assess, you know, does that create nexus and does that create, you know, income tax filing requirements, sales tax filing requirements, and and help our clients kind of work through all of those complexities to really come up with an overall game plan of how you can, um, you know, enter into the U.S. market because, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's one of those things that, you know, the second you step f- foot in the U.S., whether you like it or not, you're, you're likely going to be sub- subject to some sort of um, tax compliance. So it, it's important, you know, as we you know, continue to stress in this discussion that we're tracking information, that we're having these conversations and that we're really kind of aware of, of where the potential pitfalls may lie.
0: Wow, sounds more complicated than what we do here, right, Darren? Uh, are there any additional state tax exposures that you need to be aware of, just beside the income tax filings?
2: Yeah, I mean, similar to you know the the, the regimes and the things you have in in Canada, you know, you're going to have to be concerned with potential payroll um, tax. So you're going to have to worry about you know the the appropriate federal and state source deductions and remittances. Um, you know, as I mentioned, sales tax. You know, it's 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 somewhat similar to HST, but there are, there are a lot of key differences. So, you know, understanding that as well. Um, and, and really just, yeah, I think it's, you know, a number of different regimes, but when you kind of add them all together, um, it creates kind of a, a complex web of things that, uh, you know, Canadian businesses expanding to the US need to be aware of before, before, they, before they enter the market, if possible. But, you know, if not, you know, trying to get caught up on that as quickly as possible.
0: Wow, that's very interesting. Lots to think about. Um, I wanna thank you to Darren, Jay and Kevin. It was really useful. Hopefully everybody found uh, some topics of interest to come in. Based on what I heard, it appears that tracking your employees is key in both the corporate and personal taxation and ensuring there are written policies and understanding what your employees are doing for the employer in both countries. Very, very interesting topics. Our next episode will be on outbound investment and listen to our previous episodes on BEPS and COVID-19. Subscribe and tune into the podcast series.